0: From Washington, this is Talking Tax. I'm David Schultz. The debate over same-sex marriage took a lot of twists and turns during the 1990s and 2000s. First, a few states took tentative steps toward legalization. Then Congress passed the Defense of Marriage Act, essentially outlawing same-sex marriage on the federal level. Then, gradually, more and more states started moving toward full legalization. Finally, in 2013, it felt like a chapter of this story was closed with U.S. v. Windsor, a case of the Supreme Court that ultimately overturned the Defense of Marriage Act. This, along with the subsequent Obergefell case that legalized same-sex marriage nationwide, seemed like it brought a sense of closure to the issue. Same-sex couples have the same legal rights as opposite-sex couples, full stop. Well, not quite.
1: Tax isn't just an economic issue or a pocketbook issue. Most people see taxes just how much taxes do I have to pay? Is there a way to pay less? <laughs> um, you know, they go to tax accountants, to tax lawyers, you know, looking to minimize their taxes. But people in doing that oftentimes miss kind of a really important aspect of the tax system, which is that the tax system is an expression of who we are, what we value, who we value. Um, you know, that gets expressed in and kind of the language of the code and in how we tax what we tax who we tax you know those are all choices political choices that we make about you know kind of what matters in us society
0: that's the conclusion of anthony infanti a law professor at the university of pittsburgh who specializes in gender and sexuality as well as in tax policy and theory He says, despite the seemingly decisive legal victory same-sex couples have won over the past decade, there are still parts of the law and specifically tax law where these couples are treated unequally.
1: At the kind of the most basic level, things are equal and simple in the sense that you know, if a same-sex couple is married, they're treated just like a different-sex couple who's married for federal tax purposes. So they can file a joint return. They can, you know, transfer property between and among themselves um, without paying income tax, gift tax, or estate tax. They can do things like that. But unsurprisingly, you know, with an Internal Revenue Code that was constructed over a hundred years, I mean, because the Internal Revenue Code started in 1913. That's when we had the first Revenue Act after the Sixteenth Amendment was. Uh, passed, and then Windsor was 2013. So you have a hundred-year period. Over that hundred-year period, you know the income tax was constructed basically on the assumption that you know only different-sex couples existed, only different-sex couples mattered. So it's kind of unsurprising that there would be some things that are vestiges in the code of that type of discrimination.
0: Infanti spoke with Bloomberg Tax's Yuri Nagano about several of these areas of the tax code that are still unequal. He started off with the issue of what same-sex couples can, or rather can't, deduct off their taxes as medical expenses. So uh, reproductive um, related tax breaks are not available.
1: If you have a different sex couple, um, different sex couples, you know, if they run into problems procreating because of fertility issues, say one or both of the spouses is infertile, then infertility, you know, could, you know, be considered a disease um, for purposes of the medical expense deduction under section 213 in the code. And so if they get treatment for that infertility, those treatments, you know, should be deductible. But you know, when you're talking about same-sex couples, um, you have something very different going on um, because what's happening then is they're not going to get these same exact medical procedures, whether it's in vitro fertilization or something else um, that different sex couples do. They're not getting those because they're infertile. They're getting them because they need medical assistance in order to procreate. And that has been a hurdle for them.
0: Invanti says the IRS has actually gone to court over this in a couple of cases where same-sex couples said they should be able to deduct reproductive costs.
1: And in both of those cases, you know, the court said that they couldn't deduct the costs of surrogacy um, to procreate the in vitro fertilization, the gestational surrogate, in part because that, you know, wasn't a problem of disease. There was no infertility going on. One of the cases was very clear about that. And then both cases were also very clear about the fact that, you know, all of the Costly procedures that were happening. All the in vitro fertilization, all the medical stuff was happening to the surrogate who was not either the taxpayer, the taxpayer's spouse, or one of the taxpayer's dependents. So, same medical procedures, but treated very differently depending on whether the couple is different sex and married or same sex.
0: Another issue that Infancy pointed out is a tax credit the IRS grants to couples adopting a child. This comes into play, he says, because many same-sex couples choose to have one spouse formally adopt the child of the other as a way to strengthen their legal parental rights. This is especially important for female same-sex couples where one spouse may be the biological parent of the child while the other isn't. But there's just one problem.
1: If you go get an adoption of your you know, spouse's child when you're married... Uh, you can't get the adoption credit for that um, because the adoption credit is not available either if you're adopting a child that's the child of your spouse, so if it's a step-parent adoption, or if the adoption is part of a surrogacy arrangement. So if you used a surrogate to have the child, you know, and the one parent is the biological parent, the other parent who adopts that child, which is often necessary in these surrogacy arrangements, they can't get um, the adoption credit
0: Infanti says this is especially frustrating for same-sex couples because the only reason many choose to adopt their spouse's child is because some states still don't have strong parental rights for same-sex couples.
1: This is basically a vestige of discrimination. I mean, you know, different sex couples don't feel the need to go get an adoption to make their parental rights, you know, rock solid uh, because it's just... Presumed you know it's it's natural that if you have you know two a different sex couple who's married and they have a child everyone just assumes that it's it's legally their child and you know they both have legal rights there's no question about whose child is it you know do, it does one of the parents really have legal rights to the child but same sex couples still can run into that and so you know they're advised to get these adoptions but can't get any kind of financial assistance with this caught co- really cost of dealing with discrimination.
0: Another irony for same-sex couples is that before Windsor and Obergefell, many entered into civil unions or domestic partnerships because they couldn't legally get married. But now...
1: Civil unions and domestic partnerships and other relationships that are equivalent to a marriage don't count for federal tax purposes. Um, The IRS refuses to recognize people who are in civil unions or domestic partnerships, even though for many couples, before the, you know, before 2015, you know, with Obergefell, you know, for many couples, their only choice was, you know, or many same-sex couples, I should say, their only choice was you know, a civil union or a domestic partnership or no recognition of their relationship at all. I mean, if you're really trying to redress the discrimination that existed, you know, you should be recognizing all of those relationships going back in time because there was no way some of these couples could have gotten married.
0: And then there's the very gendered language within the tax code itself. While this issue may not have the immediate practical effects of the others infanti brought up, he says a quick reading of the code shows it's very blatant. So changing the tax code to have gender-neutral language, why is that so important? Does that make a difference for taxpayers?
1: I mean, the whole code should be gender-neutral. I mean, what people don't usually recognize is that the entire code assumes that the taxpayer is a man. <laughs> I mean, everywhere in the code, it says he, him, his, all over the place, which is, that's not just an issue for same-sex couples, that's an issue for women as well. I mean, it sends a message about you know how women are viewed by you know, Congress and by U.S. society, for that matter.
0: Most of these issues that Infanti raises would have to be fixed by Congress. The House last year passed a bill known as the Pride Act that would have addressed some of these tax inequities, but it went nowhere in the Senate. Infante says he hopes the incoming Biden administration and the new Congress makes this a priority. Even if it just fixes the gendered language within the tax code, that could go a long way toward ending the discrimination against same-sex couples that is still around even after Windsor and Obergefell.
1: You know, if you're going to have tax laws that, in essence, exclude women, you know, that ignore women for the most part, you know, that's sending a message about women's role in society, which, you know, kind of is only buttressed by other provisions in the code that are, you know, also not great for women. I mean, in terms of kind of how we construct the, the taxable unit that we, you know, the taxable unit is generally the married couple. You know, if you're married, you know, if you look at, if you look at your 1040, when you fill out your 1040 every year, you have to fill out, you have to, check a box for your filing status. Every single one of those filing statuses revolves around your marital status. You're either married filing jointly, married filing separately. You're single, which means you're not married. <laughs> you know, you're a widower, which means you were married, but your spouse died. You're head of household, which means you're not married, but you have you have dependents like a married couple might have, which is why the head of household came around, um, that filing status came around. So it's it's all revolving around marriage, And the way the structure is set up is that, you know, historically, there have been, you know, marriage penalties and marriage bonuses in the rate structure that kind of encourage women to stay at home rather than go out to work. That's all of a piece with saying that the only taxpayers that matter are men, when you have the entire code go through and talk about he, him, his.
0: That was Anthony Infanti, a law professor at the University of Pittsburgh, talking with Bloomberg Taxes Yuri Nagano. You can find up-to-the-minute news on the latest tax and accounting developments at our website, news.bloombergtax.com. That website, once again, is news.bloombergtax.com. And if you have any thoughts about what you just heard or anything else, get in touch with us on Twitter. We use the handle at tax. Today's Talking Tax is produced by myself, David Schultz, and Yuri Nagano. Kathy Larson is our editor. Special assistance came from Jeff Harrington. From Washington, I'm David Schultz. Thanks for listening. This is Adam Ellington, and I'm here to announce a new season of Uncommon Law, a narrative podcast series from Bloomberg Law. Black, law black, My co-hosts and I will speak with African-American attorneys and hear their perspectives on how big law is, or in some cases isn't, adapting to become more diverse and inclusive.
1: It's not fair, but what can be better than being on the front lines of helping to make this country better for all of us? If not us, who? If not now,
0: when? Just search for Uncommon Law wherever you get your podcasts.